Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine, and this is episode 118. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host. This week, drinks writer Hannah gets the lowdown on Mezcal with experts Melanie Simmons and Thea Cummin, from agave varieties to the best Mezcal bars in London. Then later on, editorial assistant Ellie chats to Vittorio Maschio, ex-director of Natura, about the importance of seasonal ingredients, what bigger-style dough is, and why he's taking the pizza menu back to basics. This is Hannah Guinness. I'm Olive Magazine's uh, drinks writer, and I'm here to talk with Melanie and Thea about mezcal and uh, why it's great and why we should drink it and some uh, exciting events happening later on in the month in London. Okay, so um, just for the total newbie, what's the definition of mezcal? Okay, so the word mezcal is a spirit made from agave and made in Mexico. So tequila, which I'm sure you're all aware of, is a type of mezcal. And there are other such mezcals like ricea, and Bacanora, and Mezcal also is its own Mezcal in its category, which is a little bit confusing. But for all terms and purposes, Mezcal is a spirit made from agave and made in Mexico. Okay. And um, some of you listening might have tasted Mezcal, some of you might not. What does it taste like? What are the tasting notes? So there's a bit of confusion around this because obviously one of the characteristics that some people may say is it's very smoky. Mm -hmm. But you can... um, taste mezcals that taste really green or some that taste like candy floss. Mm. So really, the flavour profile is very difficult to, to pin find. down, yeah. Um, so I would say just try as many as you can, Yeah, <laughs> really. Um, yeah, from Santiago Matalan, they do tend to be a little bit smokier. Earthier, peatier, those yeah. kind of things. But yeah. we try and use things, avoid saying smoky because it gets used a lot as a term. 
and it can sometimes put people off. Yeah, because they assume smoky and they think whiskey and exactly. It's obviously and very Melanie different. always uses a very good um, comment, which is there's a there's a mezcal out there for everyone. So if you keep looking, there will be something that will suit your your taste. So yeah, just keep, keep trying. trying. <laughs> I suppose that. Um, the smokers, the smokers people do initially pick up, pick up on with some of them, is down to how it's made, I'm guessing. Yeah, kind of. So uh, it's, instead of saying smoke, I would say it's PT, because like you just mentioned, so the difference um, between tequila and mezcal, one of the, the big differences is the way that agave are cooked in the production. So with a tequila, they kind of get steamed. So imagine like a uh, pressure cooker or a kind of brick oven and the, the steam generates um, heat and the heat cooks the agave. So it's kind of... I let's say microwaving that's not a very nice thing to tequila so with mezcal they pit roast it underground and they use wood and rocks so that in turn gives itself a really kind of smoky peaty flavor so think about barbecuing when you're thinking about that and those flavors that you put onto things when you cook them that way so it's kind of a good analogy I think to think about mezcals are going to taste in that way a little bit more peaty a little more kind of you know burnt or kind of crispy those kind of um toasty yeah toasty good one um, I always say, like, mezcal tastes like a 3D tequila, uh, which is a good... I always say, yeah, imagine microwave food against barbecue food. Yeah. And kind of go from there. Yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of the kind of smoky elements that kind of come from that cooking. And um, something I've... Um, you know, I'm a, a novice when it comes to mezcal, but the one thing I've noticed um, when you start tasting different ones is, is uh, you know, as, as you guys have said, they do taste dramatically different. Yeah. Um, they can be everything, anything from quite sweet and floral to really vegetal to, you know, really quite sort of... Um, Cheesy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> barnyardy. Yeah. Um, and is that to do with the fact that you can use so many different types of agave plants so it, and that can radically affect so how it tastes? So there's, there's a lot of different reasons. It is, I always use wine as quite a good way of describing mezcal and the different characteristics because... because Terroir affects mezcal hugely, like it does with wine. So, you know, you can, you'll be affected by what is locally grown in that area, what the ground's like. There's obviously the major factor is the different mezcal, the agave plant that is used, because, like with a grape, you get vastly different flavours from different agave plants. Um, so there's a lot of contributing factors... Regionally, they change as well. Also, every mescalero makes his mezcal in a different way. So the cooking times will make a difference. You know, like the ye- the ambient yeasts will make a difference. There's just so many contributing factors to like, how it changes. It's similar. It's, it is very similar to wine in that respect. So again, it's keep on trying, keep on trying to find something different. And there's always, there's so much so much to learn about. Mm, yeah, it's it's like you can really get down a rabbit hole. When it comes to it, like which is fun though, because it's not like serious, and it's just such an amazing spirit to drink that Mm. you know. And is it espadin? That's the most common one that most people would be familiar with. Yeah, so espadin is a type of agave. So with tequila again, you'll probably be familiar, or maybe with the blue Weber. So all tequila is made from a blue Weber agave. And then if you think about mezcals, you can use around 45, 50 different um, agave to make mezcal. So that all of a sudden gives you a huge range of flavours. And then espadin is the one that you all kind of look and see on most bottles being exported out of Mexico. The reasons being because it's really easy to cultivate. 
So around 90% of the mezcal coming out of Mexico is made by an espadín agave. Mm -hmm. They, as I said, they're really big. They have a high um, sugar as well starch content that turns to sugar. So you can get a lot of juice out of them. They grow in as little as 60 years um, before they're mature. So wow, again, in terms of agave, it's a long time. It can be, yeah, it can be as little as six. It's generally between, we, we say, you know, around seven to 10, but they can be ready fairly early. It depends on the soil. Some agaves will take a quarter of a century yeah. before they are ready for harvest. So you kind of have to think about that a little bit. So in terms of agave, espadin grows relatively quickly. Mm. Um, it doesn't need anything done to it, so you don't have to farm it and kind of do and looking after it, just leave it alone, let it grow. Um, and in mezcal world, Oaxaca is the biggest mezcal producing state in Mexico, and espadin is the most common agave there. So that's mm. why you see so much of it. And um, I've noticed... You know, some bottles of mezcal will say, you know, you know, from made from wild agave. Is that what does that mean as a term? Is that like a marketing term, or is it? Well, that you can have wild agave, which means wild agave, as in it's been growing in the wild. There's also semi-cultivated, which I don't know how to explain semi-cultivated. But then there's also cultivated. So that, like a lot of espadin is cultivated because that's easy to. That like you you know you need to grow enough and it's never going to grow you're never going to be able to grow enough for the production without cultivating it. Yeah, maybe semi cultivators when because I think they do it with um, um, cider. You know they take they take from what, do they take it from wild? Do you take so, yeah you take, take a, a wild so basically yeah. with a semi cultivated agave and most of the wild agave the mezcal that say wild agave are actually semi cultivated yeah. which means you've yeah. taken a wild seed and you have planted it in probably community land. Um, it might be your land, and then you just let it grow as wild. So it has a, a slight intervention in terms of you've, you've planted the seed, otherwise it might not have germinated, but then you kind of leave it be. So it, it is kind of wild, but it's not 100%. You're not going out into, you know, the, the wilderness land. and gathering Yeah, it, because yeah. there's been so, so much agave shortage, I think, that actually taking agaves from the wild has become quite a problem. So brands are kind of wanting to have new, you know, rare agaves and all the consumers want to try these, but actually no one really knows the damage it's having or the impact it's having on the environment. Yeah, how, how sustainable, like, is mezcal production? Is it is it tricky? Or... I think the word sustainable isn't a great term. Sustainable can mean a lot of things. Yeah. From, you know, is it efficient? Because efficiency is sustainable because you're using less product, but efficiency often means industrial, which isn't really... Um, what we at London Mezcal Week kind of look at so we look at traditional mezcals so it's about how a brand kind of reacts to its surroundings its environment its community and, and kind of um, is made as responsibly I think as they can which for me is a better word so I think all good mezcals um, and certainly all traditional mezcals and I do kind of emphasise the difference mm. because there is three categories we have mezcal which can be industrial we have artisanal mezcal which can be, it, it's traditionally made. Um, it doesn't go all the way to stop the industrial processes. You can use some machinery. Mm. And then you have ancestral, which is very much handmade. So we kind of, uh, myself and Thea, when we do London Mezcal, we say it has to be traditionally made. So we don't use any industrial processes. Mm -hmm. So with Mezcals that we work with, then they all have a responsible kind of practice and they all work with their communities to employ local people to, you know, dispose of their waste properly, to try not to use kind of resources in a, in, a, in a bad way. So, you know, deforestation, et cetera, the wood that we use, we try and use wood that's fallen or that's diseased. So I think that's an easier an easier word to use sure. rather than sustainable. Because the other, going on from that, sustainability, some of the bigger brands which will produce, like industrially produced 
as cows, they, in some ways they can actually be more sustainable because of the way that they, they have a better setup to, for example, get rid of their, the waste products. And there are some harmful waste products produced during make, when you make miscal. So it's a difficult, like, yeah, like Melanie said, sustainable isn't necessarily... It's a tricky much, term. Yeah, it's a really yeah. tricky term in miscal. But anyway, an ongoing debate. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's the same... With every, every, you know, everything from beer to whiskey, you know, there's everything has its own exactly. set of issues. Um, so, a lot of people aren't familiar with mezcal, and it's only now it's becoming more kind of widespread. Um, would you agree with that, or do you think it's sort of? Yeah, I think kind of leading on from I think the food and, and kind of wine and, and and other kind of spirits industry, people consumers are always looking for things of the story and things that you can trace back to its production. So, you know, you've seen it with kind of, you know, industrial reared meats. Even now, you know, everyone wants kind of farm-reared, free-range, organic wines. We've seen, you know, low-intervention wines have been very popular. The gin craze we all know about, and everyone wants the small kind of handcrafted, you know, little batch gins. And I think mezcal fits that that kind of um, setup, where with a mezcal, you can trace everything with a good traditional mezcal, that is right back to the farmer, where he grows his agaves, how long they've been in the field for, which field, you know that it's been harvested by hand because you have to harvest agave by hand. Mm-hmm. You cannot harvest agave by machinery. Mm-hmm. They all grow at different times in the field, so it's impossible to do. And then you know that it's going to have a handmade process. So that, in turn, kind of ticks all the boxes for a consumer or, you know, kind of a bar looking to use a product that has got a little bit more integrity, I think, about it. Mm-hmm. Um, couple that with the agave that have taken at least kind of you know six years to grow you're kind of looking at a product that has you know a lot taken of time years and, and years yeah to, you know exactly. there's so much effort and time and care that's very much so i think that's kind of helped mezcal become a bit of a trend and it has you know i, I don't like to use the word trend but mezcal it has become popular has been a trend because that also with bartenders have kind of definitely fallen in love with it because it's such a versatile product um and we may not have the right culture here for sipping mezcal, which is how it's traditionally drunk. But cocktail bartenders in London, I think it's one of the best cities in the world for cocktails, mm-hmm. and they have taken it completely to their hearts. It's so versatile. You can use a mezcal in tequila cocktails, in gin cocktails, in rum cocktails. So they now have this spirit that can do all of the things all of the other back bar can do, and then some more. You've got the smokiness of whiskies, you've got the, you know, the pepperiness of tequilas, you've got the sweetness of the rum. You can find something to see yeah, every... Yeah, the floor yeah. of the gin. So you really can appeal to kind of all people who like their spirits. And it, it is really good with food, as I recently discovered. Um, it does, perhaps in the same way... Um, maybe it's the warmth of it, but it's, it's very different to whiskey, but I find the same way that if you want something... With a bit of backbone. Well, it's, kind of um, it's what you're botanicals. Eating. There's certain things grown, and obviously with that comes a lot more flavour than a grain that's grown every year. Like, mm. and that paired with food, they naturally it's going to work a lot better. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. In Mexico, you, you certainly would pair your mezcals with food. So mm. it's great that people are getting onto that. It makes a huge difference. Is there anything in particular that you like having mezcal with? Um, meat and tacos, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> We've actually course. got a chef, a Mexican chef called Santiago Lastra, um, who um, organised the pop-up uh, with Noma mm. in Mexico. So he's actually doing a mezcal dinner and pairing menu mm. during London Mezcal, which is going to be really awesome. So his food, he's a lot of vegetables, actually. Mm. He got very excited about carrots 
to us enthusiastic. So, you know, even simple things like that, you, you know, cook a carrot the right way and talking about which mezcal it might go with. It's actually, for me, I'm like, okay, that actually sounds amazing. There's a, there's a rosea that I work with and that goes incredibly well with like rosemary, thyme, quite like earthy herbs. Um, so yeah, yeah I'm, obviously everyone's going to be slightly different again, but um, a mezcal pairing dinner is, yeah. I mean, there's it's, it's, it's probably blow your head a little bit in terms yeah. of like what to... What yeah. to pick that yeah, we have to pick. Everything. We have to pick four mezcals for this four-course dinner, and we're kind of like, oh my god, what do we do? Because actually, you know, there's so many that will work. It's it's yeah. it's it's really easy to pick them because you've got kind of different components. Mezcals, by their kind of nature, are very complex, so you'll get like a quite defined start, middle, end with the tasting. So imagine like a whiskey when you kind of take take one sip and it takes you on a real journey in the palate. Mm-hmm. Mezcals really do that, so you can start kind of with a mezcal being quite peppery and quite kind of, you know, green. And then it can end up, like, tasting like custard or tasting yeah. like mangoes. So it's a real kind of journey. So you're like, pairing with food. It's, it's actually really fun, yeah. uh, exciting to do. So you guys uh, earlier on mentioned London Mezcal Week, which is uh, swiftly approaching. It's the 10th to the 16th of September. Is that right? All right, yeah. glad I got that right. That would have been embarrassing if I hadn't. Um, and uh, you guys have got loads planned, tastings, dinners, um, Parties. I've heard talk of a mezcal festival. Um, what's yeah? So the of, main like the that? main highlight for the whole week was um, Melly and I both work with mezcal. We both have our own brands, and it's really difficult as small brand owners to have the exposure that you might get at some of the slightly larger drinks shows. So Melanie always wanted. To, it was her idea basically. She was like, I want to support the small brands and give them a free platform to like exhibit their goods and, you know, access London. So I then was like, right, we're going to do this. So the main two, the main event is the two-day tasting where we've got, I think, 34 brands. There's 36 now um, different brands of agave spirits, mostly mezcal. I think we have three tequilas. The biggest um, mezcal selection that have been seen in the UK because the brands that are coming actually are going to be exhibiting over 60 mezcals between them. Is some that, of which are new to the UK. Would that be all in one, one room? One it room? is all in one room, yes. Wow. <laughs> one boozy room. room. With our fabulous room. partners, TT Liquor, who are based on Kingston Road. Yeah. So we've got a tasting room um, upstairs there. I've been there. It's, got, it's such a nice place to do Isn't something it? like that. Yeah. yeah. So we've got the two-day tasting there, and that's, like, the big highlight. But obviously, throughout the week, we have something every day. So we've got dinners, we've got, like... Um, Melanie said we've got Santiago Lastra doing a pairing dinner on the Tuesday. Um, we have talks. We've got Phil Bailey, who's the global ambassador of Mezcal, coming over to give a variety of different talks. He's obviously a fountain of knowledge. Um, we have Thomas Estes and Jesse Estes from Ocho Tequila, who are going to be doing an agave love talk with Phil on the Thursday. Yeah, that's the first time that... that so Thomas Estes, if anyone doesn't know, he is the European tequila ambassador, an absolute legend. He's the guy responsible for bringing agave spirits to London from Cafe Pacifico in the 70s. So him and Phil Bailey met over, I think, 35, 40 years ago and travelled Mexico together, how they found Mezcal. So they did this talk called Agave Love, and they've never done it in the UK before, so they're going to be talking on Thursday day um, about their experiences over the last kind of 30, 40 years and how, you know, they journeyed through Mexico and brought agave spirits all the way to us lovely folk in London. Perfect. But, and then also on the, on the Saturday night, on the Friday and the Saturday night, even though we, do, we have the, 
the tasting from one to seven will be sticking around in the bar downstairs and we've got like a most calculated menu mm. um, all week actually it's all also mexican day. independence day on the 15th so well what what more excuse do you need exactly. yeah it's a full week i was saying Thea said the same mezcal is my idea that my idea was to do a one day <laughs> festival which then turned into a whole week and i think we've got like nearly 16 different events yeah. going on during this week so yeah we've got mezcal cruises happening from oh, yeah. hanniwick on the alfred exactly. Leroy. Wow, uh, we've got uh, Oaxacan um, Weaver coming in for an art show, uh, photography and art show, um, on the Wednesday yeah, night. Wednesday the 12th. Yeah, um, and like, we've got loads of stuff. So it's, it's, it's really about trying to introduce mezcal to it in many different ways. You don't have to just sit and drink neat mezcal. If you like art, then come and look at some Oaxacan art. It's like mezcal is very intertwined with culture in Oaxaca. Mm. So we wanted to kind of um, try and, you know, cover as many areas and make it... You know, there's, there's a way to enjoy mezcal for everybody. You might not like going to cocktail bars or you might not want to, you know, go to an all-night mezcal rave up. But you might, you know, want to go to an art gallery. So there's always something for everybody. Mezcal kind of winds its way into the kind of every kind of avenue. So it's more about putting on a varied kind of yeah. week of fun. And um, if you want to check out any and find out more about the events that Melanie and Thea have mentioned, um, the website is londonmezcalweek.com. Correct. Yeah, yes. correct. Not, 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 not .co.uk. <laughs> um, 10 to 16th of September. I'm guessing you guys have not got anything massive planned the week after. Just going to recover from... Well, actually... Or do you? Who just this is like exclusive for you. So we actually do. So back in the day, before... The reason I have a Mezcal brand to do Mezcal Week is because I opened up the UK's first Mezcal bar back in 2012. So... Um, in the weird way that the world works, um, that actual venue has been um, come back round to me, and me and Thea are going to be opening up a mezcal bar at the end of September. What, what's what's the name? It's called the Mezcal Bar. The Mezcal Bar. <laughs> because where are you going? We're going to the Mezcal Straight Bar. Straight to the point. And it's going to be at on Hackney Road, underneath the kebab shop originally, which is now going to be a pop-up food stop. So we're going to have amazing food concessions in the upstairs. Um, all TBC at the moment so every month we're going to have a new um, street food vendor from London some very loved faces have agreed to appear and then you'll be able to descend into the basement for all of the mezcal you could possibly want Perfect. and more this is very exciting Yay. well so <laughs> that is one place that you will be able to drink mezcal in London <laughs> that's correct um, elsewhere in terms of I mean I know there's Singusano yes which has got um lovely mezcal flights singasano yeah they're doing an amazing job so they they're a tasting tasting bar so they have flights um john the guy that owns it is, he's gone into a lot of detail about mm. different mezcals it's a very educational place great to go other amazing partners we have temper have support uh, huge supporters so in all of the, their sites they have specials running throughout the week yeah they have a great mezcal temper actually soho was the first restaurant to really put its kind of self on the line and do food in a mezcal menu neil yeah. rankin an amazing chef obviously knows him from his um you know from where was he pick you as well um he opened up the other restaurant i forgot now sorry um, in where was it in Islington or Angel smokehouse. that was the one smokehouse but he loves mezcal I met him in my bar when it first opened um, that we were just talking about and so he was like right I'm going to open up a place in Soho and I'm going to do a mezcal menu mezcal and barbecue meats am I crazy and I was like you're brave do it so he he's kind of was leading the way so I'd always say go to Temper and eat amazing food drink mezcal 
Um, Cafe Pacifico, obviously. Yeah, Thomas Estes, you know, 1970, it was the first place to sell agave spirits in London, so you always can go there and have an amazing um, selection of um, tequilas and mezcals. But then we also have, you know, uh, Maria Sabina down in Brixton, mm -hmm. who's doing something for us, and the Market Halls in Fulham, they're bringing mezcal to Fulham, so there's, there's a lot going on, so, yeah. yeah. And you can Where, drink, yeah, I think you can drink mezcal pretty much. If any good, reputable bar should have at least one or two yeah. mezcals. So that's a sign of, sign of a good quality bar, yeah, then. Yeah, for sure. Ask, it, ask them wow. all their mezcals they've got, and if they haven't got anything, then... Okay, well, so um, you have no excuse not to drink mezcal <laughs> because never um, there are plenty of places to drink it and um, plenty of different mezcals. So yes. anyway, thanks very much, guys. Thank you for having us. No worries. Hello, and I'm here to chat to Vittorio Maschio, ex-director of Natura, um, and he's just opened his first pizzeria in South London. So, welcome. And seasonal and carefully sourced ingredients are the real focus of the toppings, aren't they? So, can you talk us through where you source the ingredients from? Ingredients are very important for me, obviously. Yeah. And uh, we don't have many suppliers, but carefully selected. So from a fresh mozzarella fior di latte, mm. which comes from uh, Nochi, nice. uh, which is a small village uh, not far away from Bari, okay. where originally cow mozzarella, not to be confused with buffalo mozzarella, which is very different, comes yeah. from. Uh, the same from for the charcuterie, for example, ham, salami, yeah. everything comes from the Pedrazzoli family. Uh, the, a family who's been uh, at the front of organic food. They started uh, their own production 22, 23 years ago, oh, wow. when organic yeah, was not a thing. <laughs> uh, only the vegetables, they get uh, we buy them from uh, a local ethro-based supplier of okay. organic produce. Right. And how did your background at Natura influence opening the pizzeria and obviously your knowledge of sourcing impeccable ingredients? Uh, it was a little bit easier. Yeah. Because I knew how <laughs> to source good ingredients. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I generated the intention to open a affordable, high-quality pizza mm. because over the years I've seen many, many restaurants opening but charging mm. a considerably high amount of money, often for yeah, good meals. And I really want to give the opportunity to everyone to have a good meal below £10. Yeah, and absolutely, because the pizzas range from, they start at like 5 5 Start or from 5 which is, And I guess you're showing people that you can get the highest quality ingredients and it's and it's still only that much, which is great. Yeah. Which is, yeah. We have to work very hard from that point of view mm. because uh, we need to work directly with suppliers. That means we need to ship over pallets mm -hmm. of goods so 
pallet of olive oil, pallet <laughs> of tomatoes, and, and so on. So it is quite a hard work, but yeah. if you really want to do it, you can do it. If you're passionate. And how long had you been planning on opening a pizza restaurant for? Uh, it has been in the back of my mind for um, a few years, mm -hmm. but literally just on the back of my mind. And then uh, about one year ago, okay. I started considering it. Yeah. And I've taken the decision to leave Natura to then focus on, on mm. this project. And can you explain a bit about the, um, is it the Biga style production of the dough? Because it's a very different crust to a lot of the ones that you see in London. It's almost almost kind of like ciabatta-like in the, you've got the bubbles. Biga is a method that traditionally belongs to bread. Okay. And not to pizza. Right. <laughs> so basically we mix, we make our own natural yeast. Uh, we let it, we leave it to rest for 24 hours. And then we take that dough because it's natural yeast plus flour and a little bit of water. We take right. that dough, which is called bigger, and we make another bigger dough. Right, so it's almost like a starter dough. Almost like a starter. Bigger. Okay. So the, the full process lasts 48 hours. Right. 24 hours for the bigger and another 24 hours for the dough. And is that a, is that a dough that you see in Italy a lot? No, pizza, not at no, all. No, not at all. I so mean, you're just bringing that exist, to London. But yeah, generally speaking, is is for bread. So why did you decide on that as your as your base? Uh, I wanted to go organic, but I also wanted to go with the lowest possible amount of yeast. Okay. To make it lighter. Yeah, and, it, and that's a good process. Definitely, it is. I can say this because I ate one yesterday. It is incredibly light and crisp and it holds itself really well which, yeah. is, which is what I like from pizza at least so um, and also the menu is very simple you've kind of stripped it back so there's six pizzas and, and four wines on the list and then a couple of beers from uh, Hackney's Crate Brewery so why did you decide to kind of take it back to basics like that uh, or was that service. not a thing you no. <laughs> we, we just Pizza is, was originally born as poor man food mm. in very simple establishment. And we just want to take it back to the original roots, but in a nice environment. Yeah. So a very short menu, a very short drinks list. Everything helps to keep the costs down. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. That makes sense. But also, it feels quite... I, you kind of feel you know what you're getting. You know that you're coming here for pizza. That's what you're getting. And it's kind of yeah. nice to have that. It's, you, don't, you don't almost have to think. You just know exactly what you're getting, which is good. <laughs> and so Manifesto described itself with three principles, which are quality, democracy, and love. And why have you chosen those three aspects? Well, it's quality of the ingredients, love for what you do, and democracy in the sense that good food should be accessible to everyone. Yeah, makes sense. And so, obviously, this pizza is not a Naples-style pizza. But can we talk about that for a moment? And Because that's traditionally what you get in Italy, isn't it? The Naples-style pizza. Yeah. yeah. And so what, 
what kind of makes that different from, say, an American-style pizza or a pizza you're making yourself at home? Well, I, I always, always wanted to introduce a slightly different style of pizza. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we are the first to do it. I'm no. sure there is very similar products mm-hmm. around Italy and not only Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to talk about London-style pizza. Yeah. I don't think London has its own style. I wouldn't mind to start defining that style. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think there's a place, obviously, you've got you've got your Chicago deep dish pizzas, which some people love. Absolutely. And then you've got your American-style pizzas, you've got Napoleon pizzas. Do you think there is a place for all of those in the pizza world? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if I am in Naples... I'll, I would mm. love a Napolitan-style pizza. If I am in Chicago, I would love a, a deep... <laughs> That's what you want. A deep yeah. dish Chicago pizza. Yeah. And finally, and most importantly, which... Where is your favourite place to eat pizza? My favourite place to eat pizza is uh, Radio Alice. Oh, really? Yeah. How... Why that one? Uh... I love the quality of the ingredients that they mm-hmm. use. Pizza is extremely light. Uh, I know their process. I know they put a lot of care and love in what they're doing. Uh, the two Aloe brothers, are uh, I consider them friends. Mm. And they, we, we exchange many opinions on pizza. Uh, I love the team behind. It's just... A, a great a place, great place. Where to go and have pizza? If I'm not having it here. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> this probably come here first and check it out. So uh, yeah, Manifesto has just opened on Northcote Road, and so yeah, come in and try it for yourself. Thank you. Thank you. So that was the Old Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our September issue on the newsstand now, or go download the app version. Bye for now, and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat.